I have this new idea for my podcast for a format, and it's Fox in the City, the next chapter, okay? Because I'm tired of doing the old segments that I've been doing for 16 years. Instead, I thought it would be interesting to do, like, here I am talking about shit. <laughs> I'm talking about a lot of shit, and I have different chapters of shit, and here's me talking about this shit for, like, five minutes. Then I'm going to do like a little musical interlude with just like a, a dab of music that I'm listening to right now. Not even the full song, just like a little, like a little tiny musical interlude, like a 20 second musical interlude, maybe a minute. I don't know. It depends on, it depends on what I'm in the mood for, frankly. And then I come back and it's like, here's another chapter of shit, like this theme that I want to talk about. And so Fox in the City, the next chapter. My hair what this chapter is called. I am actually curious to see what episode I'm on. Normally I wait until the very end of things. And I, this may be episode 40. Let's see. Podcast. Let's see. We're doing it together. We're discovering all sorts of things about our bodies. Oh yeah. Episode 40. Oh my gosh. I have a middle-aged podcast. And really, I mean, it's much older than that because... I had a whole thing, the initial Fox in the City run, right? And then it got vaginal rejuvenation, and now it's on its second vagina. But now its second vagina is in its 40s. Yikes. Ew. Ew. This first chapter, as I was saying, Aziz Zanari, is that that guy's name from Parks and Recreation? Aziz Zanari. Or what, I think he got, isn't he in trouble for, uh, like, sexual, um, I, what do they even call it? I don't know if it's sexual assault with him, uh, sexual harassment or something. Aziz, hold on, let's see, Aziz Ansari, sexual, I went on a date with Aziz Ansari, it turned out to be the worst night of my life. Somebody on babe.net posted. She used the pseudonym Grace, accused him of sexual misconduct. Oh, well, I mean, that said, so there you have it. There you have it. That's the story. I don't know why I am putting off talking about my hair. I mean, it doesn't sound like it would be a very interesting topic, but it is a very interesting topic to me because. When I was younger, I recently wrote on my blog about how I went through this phase when I was growing up where I was trans, and I use it to demonstrate gender fluidity. In fact, I have a YouTube video about it, and I show pictures and stuff like that. And I, I identify as a man, and I have for my entire adult life. But when I was in middle school, when I was coming of age, when I was getting peach fuzz and puberty, the pubic hairs... I thought I was a woman. I, I felt more comfortable with the idea that I was a little girl than a little boy. And I let my hair grow long and everybody mistook me for a, a girl. And I remember going to spend the night with my friends, high and ha-ho, which I know that sounds like a, the funny names, but they were twins, high and ha-ho. Where were they from? Were they from Vietnam? I, I don't really remember, but they were um, very cool. I have very good memories of them, and their father was really nice. But when I went to spend the night with them, they were like, 
the father was like, you can't have a girl spend the night. And they're like, no, Reagan's a boy. And I was used to this by that point. I was like, of course, right? It's kind of like Ann Coulter going into a restaurant and everybody's like, ugh, bitch, bitch. Flipping her off and her date's like, gosh, isn't that a lot for you? Should we call a manager or the police? And she's like, no, trust me. This happens all the time. That was what it was like for me. And so High and Ha's father didn't believe. He was like, he's too pretty to be a boy. And I was like, thank you. You want to fuck me? You want to fuck me? Is that what you're saying, Mr. Ho? My parents told me in middle school, they're like, if you want bullies to stop picking on you, you have to cut your hair. Everybody, that's the reason why everybody's picking on you. And I loved my hair. Like, I like putting it up in a bun and getting into the bathtub and because it helped it helped me embody that sense of femininity and, and live my life as a little girl in a way it it just it's how i felt comfortable it's just how i felt comfortable with my hair and i loved it and and strangely enough my parents growing up they'd always remark on my they'd say your hair is spun gold and you have such beautiful hair and spun gold hair and so here my father and stepmother and i get it because they're I'm their son and they don't want me to get bullied. And they're like, just cut your hair. So I cut my hair and of course the bullying didn't stop. It's funny the the logic that people have, like people, sometimes when people are overweight, let's say you're, you're Natalie from the facts of life and you're like, all I have to do is lose all this weight and all of the guys are gonna wanna do me. And I've here, I, I've lost all the weight. I got my stomach stapled and got everything sewn up and here I am. and. Where are they? I thought this was going to be the answer to all of my problems. And nothing ever is. Nothing ever is. This panacea, this cure-all. This curel. It's a curel. It's curel. It's, it wipes away everything. It wipes away all of your problems, all of the germs on your hands. You just put a little... Oh, that curel is actually the lotion. It's the lotion. It's not... I'm thinking of purel. Purel. That's, but that's what we want. We want everything handy, like an easy solution, right? Coronavirus, I'm just going to put the Purell on and then I don't have to worry about it anymore. And it's the same thing. Oh, my kid is being bullied at school. Just cut off your hair. It's the Purell for anti-gay bullying. But that's not the way the world works. So I cut off all my hair. And then and then finally, when I got back in high school or got, got into high school, I uh, and started to identify, I guess my hormones kind of like uh, calmed down. I, I began to identify as a, a boy and I let my hair grow out again. But this time was not being mistaken for a female with my long, although sometimes I was, sometimes I was. But I had to keep my, I had to keep my hair on my face in order to be mistaken. It's kind of like when Jerry Blank is going on the, uh, the, the, the uh, date with Drake and he's like, hey, wear something loose. Something that I could pull over that pretty face of yours. You got 15 minutes, shove some pie down that hole of yours, then it's camper time. Drake, thanks for understanding. Pizza, pizza, pizza! Oh my god, this isn't gonna be a chapter. This is gonna be a whole episode on my hair. I really have a lot to discuss because my hair is connected to such, such, um, a bigger picture of my life. And some just, we're gonna have to, it's gonna be like combing the hair to straighten everything out. A therapy session, right? Via hair. When I turned 18 years old, I decided to cut off all my hair. And then I came out of the closet and started going to gay bars. And you would think that coming out of the closet would make you lean into your queerness, right? And okay, I'm going to start, I'm going to dress more gender ambiguous if that's kind of like my 
get up if that's my aesthetic. I'll let my hair grow out longer. And But no, it had the absolute opposite effect on me. I was much more striving to be demonstrably heteronormative, or I guess homonormative is the correct term for it now, um, masculine appearing, despite the fact that I'm clearly such a sissy, short, short hair, uh, wearing very, like, jockey clothes, like what the preppies would wear at my school, because that was what I wanted to attract, and I thought, okay, this is what I have to look like. I have to be performatively masculine in all the ways that I possibly can be in order to attract performatively masculine guys, because that's who I was attracted to, because that's, quite frankly, what we're what we're culturally programmed to find attractive in men. It never dawned on me that somebody would just look at me the way that I am or me leaning into my femininity or whatever and find that attractive. And it's something that I still struggle with at the age of 45. It's a thought disorder. It's a thought disorder. It's part of my anxiety. We all do it to some degree, but in OCD or uh, the, the training that you do to combat OCD, what's it called? Cognitive behavioral therapy. They call it mind reading, this thinking disorder, where you think you can get into the minds of other people and figure out what they're thinking. So my form of mind thinking in terms of my own perceived attractiveness or how others might perceive me, I should say, was, well, nobody would ever look at me being thin or girly or whatever and ever find that attractive. And then, of course, you grow up and you're like, oh, no, there's like a bunch of people who find that whole Twinkie aesthetic, femme aesthetic, femboy aesthetic attractive, at least when somebody's younger. And see, now, like, it's still programmed for me to think, okay, now, now that I'm getting older, then nobody's going to find me attractive. You know, there's always something new. There's always something new to denigrate yourself. Okay, but l let me back up. So what ended up happening was I spent all of these years, really all of my adult life until my 40s, with this really short hair. If In fact, you really see it in its heightened state. When I went on Big Brother in 2010, my hair was basically like a buzz cut, like a really bad buzz cut. So what I started to do when I got into my 40s, when undercuts became popular, is it was like the best of both worlds, where I could let the top grow out long, but then keep the sides super short. And I did that several years where I'd let it, the top grow out, and then I had to cut it. And then at any rate, I mean, that doesn't really matter. The point is, is that when I got into my 40s, I decided that I was going to go to therapy because there was stuff that I wanted to let go of from my past. Or, I mean, that's, that's wrong wording because you can't really let go of stuff. I, like being sexually assaulted as a child. It's, ro it's a romantic idea. It's purelling, right? It's purelling for my brain to think like, okay, I'm going to go to therapy and let go of this and it's just going to go away. I'm going to box it up and I'm going to bury it in the ground and I'm going to burn it and it's just going to disappear because therapy is purel. And that's not the way it works, right? You have to learn to honor those experiences that you've survived, right? But point being, when I turned 40, I said... I want to be able to move past these past experiences to the best of my ability. And I want to open up a new chapter of my life, kind of like I'm doing with my podcast. See how it all fits together, like pieces of yarn. One of the ideas that I wanted to explore in therapy is what does it mean to love yourself? Because there are a few things that people want to say, to, like platitudes, I think that's what it's called, 
So I've been single for such a long time. I haven't had sex in seven years. I was so heartbroken in my last relationship. And I have abandonment issues. In fact, I need to write that down. Somebody remind me. I need to do a whole podcast chapter or episode on abandonment issues and why I have them and how they've affected me. But that's not what this episode is about. One of the things that people say to you when you're single, because everybody shows concern, especially when you are a middle-aged man, a woman like me, and they say, a middle-aged man who's a woman like me, and they say, oh, this is the one I hate the most. When you're not looking for anybody, that's when love will find you. Oh, okay, Stephen Hawking, is that how it works? Is that the physics of love? Is that how it works? No, because I've spent most of my life not looking and content. Like I was listening to the Sarah Silverman podcast and I love Sarah Silverman, but she was talking about how she's bounced around from relationship to relationship. And then she's like, but then I decided to spend like two years single and learning to like love the time that I was spending alone. I'm like, oh, two years, two full years. Oh my gosh. Wow. Bravery. This is like the red badge of courage. The purple heart and learning how to be single. I'm like, no, I've spent so much time single. And I'm normally, like I have my moments once a year where I get a little down about it. And that's some people say, and that's what really drives me crazy about it. That's when they say, well, when you're not looking, I'm like, bitch, 360 days out of the year, I'm not looking and I'm very content to be single. And I love my alone time and I'm very independent And like the one day out of the year where I'm getting like a little blue or like romanticizing what it would be like to be in a healthy, productive relationship. And you're telling me when you're not, just get the fuck out of here with that. Just get the fuck out of here with that. After we get this all cleared up, want to go for another ride in my cab? Are you listening? I have a boyfriend. Yes or no? Yes. (laughs) Yes. The other platitude is... Well, nobody's going to be able to love you until you learn to love yourself. Or maybe, like, you can't love anybody else until you learn your learn to love yourself. And that one I don't think is bullshit. That one is deeper to me. Although it's still a platitude that people say and they don't really understand what they're saying. Case in point, when I went to my therapist, I was like, you know, people say this all the time and it does seem true to me. But I don't, I don't understand what it truly means to love myself. Like, what does that mean in practice? Like, if you were to ask me abstractly, do you love yourself? I'm like, yeah, I love myself. But do I? Right? And what are some of the ways that I'm not loving to myself? That's really the question. That that was kind of an aha moment for me. When I see somebody who's attractive, I immediately tell myself, there's no, no way that person would be interested in me. No way. No way. No way. No way. Way out of my league. Like, I'm, what am I bringing to the table? And I try to imagine my sister having a friend who would say that to her. (laughs) You know, like if my sister found a guy attractive, she went out to a bar, she's like, that guy's cute. And if she had a friend who was like, that guy's never going to find you attractive. And my sister told me that, I'd be like, fuck that person. That person's not your friend. That person doesn't love you. You have to get rid of them. You have to get rid of them. They're no good for you. They're bringing you down. And uh, like, duh, this is what I do to myself. So can I really, can I really honestly say that I love myself when I believe the worst in myself? Not always, but a lot of times when I say some of the stuff, some of the negative 
self-talk that I do to myself that's not love. So what, I, what I've tried to do with mindfulness exercises and with meditation sometimes, although I'm not as good at keeping up with a meditation practice as I should be, but certainly with therapy and, and writing and even this episode of the podcast and, and doing YouTube videos and, you know, whatever, like all these things that I'm doing is really an exploration lately, at least over the last five years. And what does it mean to love yourself? And what are some of the ways that we short circuit self-love? Which brings me back to hair. You see, when my parents were telling me, cut your hair and the bullying will stop, what they were doing was like classic blame shifting, right? Where they were saying that... It's your fault that you're getting bullied because of the way that you're wearing your hair rather than it's the fault of the people bullying you. When I started therapy in my 40s, I told my therapist, I want to I want to explore things that I like rather than the things that other people tell me that I should like or what I mind read and assume other people will find attractive about me. And I've always loved my hair longer, always, always, always. And that's one of the very first things that I want to do to lean into myself. And I know I use that lean in metaphor a lot, and I apologize, but it's it's a good metaphor. Boy, howdy, let me tell you what. There is nothing like a middle-aged sissy man such as, my, such as myself and by the way, when I call myself a sissy, that's not negative self-talk. That's me leaning in, finger quit thing, into my femininity and being proud of that and, and claiming that and being like, yeah, fuck yeah, I'm a sissy. And there, believe me, there's nothing weak about that. There, You had to be strong to go against the gendered dynamics of what people expect because there are constantly people throughout your life trying to take you down for it. So when I was letting my hair grow out, there were tons of people who were like, you really need to let your hair go short again. You're so much more attractive. And it's all well-meaning. It's all very much like my parents in middle school. Just cut it off, you know? Just cut off. You're going to get so much more attention from guys if you just cut it all off. It's that Purell, right? Like, just do this, and then you're going to have all of the cock that you could desire, but if, at what cost? At what cost? And I don't want to do something. High, and, and what I would realize is I, I would spend these years and years and years with my hair short and then still not be getting like the relationship <laughs> that I wanted or attracting the guys that I thought I should attract. And I'd be like, well, if I'm not getting this from cutting my hair, why not just have the hair that I like and be myself? And also... I don't want anybody to be with me for some version of me that is not most authentically me. If you're going to love me, you need to love me, warts and all. And I don't consider, warts and all is another bad way of putting it because I don't consider like letting my hair grow out warts or unattractive. Like to me, I look like the best version of myself. Like I'm the most pleased of myself when I look at pictures with my hair long. But what so many of us do is we edit ourselves trying to make ourselves attractive for what we think somebody else might want. And in doing that, we become this distorted version of ourselves. We're not true to our core selves. So how can anybody love that? How can anybody love that? You're not giving anybody the opportunity to love you 
if you're not doing the things that you love. It took me so long to get to that place. It really did. Where I, What happened was I would look at pictures of myself growing up and I'd say, wow, I had such a unique way of dressing. It was very... It was very feminine, but it was my own unique style. And I, I, I marched to the beat of my own drummer, as they say. And I did what I want. And and I want some of that magic. I want some of that sparkle back that comes along with being your own self. And, and to thine own self be true. Supposed to go on to the next chapter now, but I forgot. I did want to tell you this, that speaking of hair... Last week, because I hadn't had my hair done in such a long time, I spent three hours in a salon chair and $480 on my hair. I got a trim, I got a keratin treatment, and I got my hair colored, brightened up, a little a little bit of highlights, my natural color, not, like, not unlike the spun gold of my youth. What am I gonna talk about? What's this next chapter about? Pop music, call me by your name, Little Nas X. Is that how you pronounce Little Nas X or Little Nas X? I'm guessing N-A-S. How would you say that? Nas? Nas? Lil Nas X. I, I don't know how to say that. I think I'm pronouncing it correctly, but I, normally I'm not into rap music. It's just not my genre of music. Uh, but I really enjoy this. So my friend Hugo posted this video of Lil Nas X and... Or it was a gif. It was a gif of this guy doing a pole dance down all the way down to hell. And I thought that was interesting. But I, 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 I didn't understand the full context. So I commented on Hugo's post and I said, this doesn't look Christian. And he said, okay, joking aside, you need to watch this video for Montero, call me by your name. And I was like, you know, it's not my thing. It's not my thing. But then I kept hearing people talk about it. So I was like, okay, I'm going to check it out. And I watched the video and it's fantastic. We were talking about leaning in as a metaphor. And so what he does is he plays all the characters in this video and it's like him. And then there's a snake, like the Garden of Eve. No, it's not Garden of Eve. Garden of Eden serpent, but with his face on it. And, and, and seducing himself, and then he, he, he bites of the forbidden fruit, which is potentially a metaphor about his sexuality because he is openly gay, which I think is amazing for hip-hop and long overdue for a huge artist, right, to be openly gay. I mean, do people say openly gay? I remember my publisher, he was putting out biography information for me when my second book, Exile in Gayville, came out, and he referred to me as an openly gay author. And I said to him, this was the beginning of the end for us. I said, Steve, openly gay? Like, we're in the, at that point, I think that book came out in 2010 or something. It was like, it just sounds weird, like, in 2010, do people still say openly gay? I know that was a thing in the 1980s where Donald, the Donald character on that HBO show Brothers, the really flamboyant character, is like, hi, I'm Donald, I'm openly gay. And here, and my my best friend is the opposite of me. He's the, um, the football playing gay, football 
television watching gay, but I'm Donald and I'm openly gay. It just seemed like a very outdated thing to say. At any rate, that's not the point of the story. So then he does a pole, little Nas X does a pole down, pole dance down to hell and then gives a lap dance to the devil. <laughs> it's very entertaining, I have to say. But there's been some controversy about the video, like he stole the aesthetic and kind of stole the idea from the video for from this um, UK artist named Twigs, Twigs something. I don't know her full name, but she used to date uh, uh, Shia LaBeouf and was in an abusive relationship with him. And, and she came out about that abuse. This is just the world that we're living in today. There are so many different layers to this onion. But what struck me about this video... And I'm saying, I'm, I'm mentioning this right now because the number one trending story is, I guess, um, Little Nas X has said, hey, everybody stream call me by your name hard today because it may no longer be available tomorrow and there's nothing I can really do about it. So who knows? Who knows? And then he said, since call me by your name is no longer working on many streaming services, I'll be uploading the audio to Pornhub at 3 p.m. Eastern. I love this guy. I love this guy. My favorite part of all of this is how he totally leans in. Leans in. Everything is leaning in. I'm leaning. I'm leaning in. My hand is on my uh, chin and and my, um, not my shoulder, my elbow is on the desk and I'm, I'm leaning into the microphone right now. Do I sound loud? I'm leaning in. How he leans into all of this horrible imagery that Christian people have foisted upon sexual minorities. And he's like, yes, and? It's like the perfect improv partner. He's like, yes, and? Yes, and? <gasps> you know what? I just remembered the theme song of that show, Brothers. It goes, we're brothers, shoop do ah, 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 you can go back and you can... I, I don't know if they have it on YouTube. If they have the theme song, but that's it. YouTube it. YouTube it. No, I just did, and it's not there. It's not... They have Band of Brothers, but that's not what I'm talking about. This was like an early 1980s uh, sitcom. At any rate, that's, it. that's neither here nor there. So what I wanted to circle back around to is that Little Nas X, or Lil Nas X, reminds me a little bit of this, this group called the Yes Men which is a progressive, I don't know if you would call it like an organization. It's probably looser than an organization. But what they do, instead of fighting right-wing politics by with outrage and saying, no, we can't do, no, what are you talking about? We can't continue to kill the environment and we can't have law enforcement. You know, they, what they do is say, they say, yes. And so instead of negating something to prove how ridiculous it is, they, they affirm it. They say yes, and then they build on to that. So take, for instance, the, the legislation that's working its way through the uh, Georgia State Senate, where they, want, they, they have all of these, the, the Jim Crow too, right? Where you can't hand people water if they're standing in line to vote. So rather than point out how this is Jim Crow too, and this is horrible, and no, 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 they, they try to follow through with the logical conclusions by saying yes. So yes, you should absolutely not give anybody waiting in line water. And in fact, anybody, and yes, and 
anybody who is currently drinking water should also be put into prison. Because if the idea here is that somebody from a certain campaign is giving you water to bribe your vote, then how do we know that somebody who came into line with water wasn't given that water by somebody hours ago from a campaign. And in fact, can't we just all assume that because we're all drinking water, we can't make sure where they got the water from? So really, everybody needs to be put into prison. And so what you do is by following through to the logical conclusions of saying yes and, you, you that's how you point out the uh, how ludicrous... Not the, not the rapper actor, but how ludicrous the argument is rather than saying no, no, no. No, no, no. Yes, yes, yes. No, 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 no. And that is my Montero chapter. That was me. That was me rapping. Did you like my rap where I went? Yes, 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 yes. No, 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 no. Yes, no, yes, no. Yes, no, no, no. I'm rapping, rapping Reagan. That's me doing my rap. He got mad, so I got drinks. I feel like there should be at least three chapters an episode. It's the rule of threes, right? That's what you do in comedy. The rule of three. It has to be a three. A threesome. Who doesn't love a menage a trois? Yeah, Rob and I have been together forever. We just need to, we need to have a third join us in the bedroom to keep things spicy. I've always had a disdain and mistrust for people like the gay guys in the open relationship, but they're always they're always bringing a third person into their relationship and uh, maybe it's maybe it's because i'm more conservative sexually but also it's just kind of knowing their machinations like okay you they have it seems like so many of them that i have met at least that i have met these couples with who like threesome relationships that they always have kind of like a, an mo Right? They have a protocol that they follow. Okay, you're the bait. You're gonna go you reel them in and then I'm gonna be the one who talks to them over email. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna, you know, just get them in we're gonna get them into bed. The spider web of our bed and we're just gonna ram just like prey of a spider and just roll them up in silk sheets and then devour them. And then when the third person is finally like, okay, this is getting fucking creepy. Like, at first it seems flattering because you have the attention of these two guys and one is a muscle head and the other is a smart one. But then they're like, you know what? This is starting to get fucking weird. Like, this isn't like a, I don't understand a triad relationship and I need to get it. And then the two act really jilted. Like, oh my gosh, he broke up with us. He broke up with us. Please respect our privacy at this time. We just, we're going to go out to dinner right now because there's this diner that we go to and there's this young twink, twunk, who 
who is our waiter most of the time and we're sexually attracted to him. And I think the way that, you know, what they always say is that the only way to get over somebody is to get under somebody. And because, because our third just left, we're just going to, tonight we feel, we feel like we need to make the move on our restaurant server tonight. We feel empowered to do so. That was just my really super long-winded way of saying there should be three. In Fox in the City, the new chapter, maybe I'll even change the name on my, uh, I don't know if I have all of that energy to change a format and then go in and change the settings for Amazon or whatever it's called, iTunes. Whoever does the podcasting, that seems like a lot of energy. At any rate, that was a very long-winded say of say, way of saying that probably three three topics, three chapters per episode. It sounds like a good a round number. Is that are, are numbers round? I know they're prime. Can they be round too? I don't know what this chapter is going to be about yet, but I do want to tell you two things that I think are funny before I get to whatever the chapter is eventually going to be about. And that's uh, the first, I, I, you know, I'm super into the movie Promising Young Woman. And if you follow me on Twitter, I'm Reagan Fox on Twitter. I've been every single day, I do a daily reminder for Academy voters to vote for Carrie Mulligan for the Oscars. She's so good. This movie is fantastic. In fact, all of the music I've been playing in my interludes have been from the Promising Young Woman soundtrack. And uh, I decided if I had a movie about myself, it would be Promising Old Bottom. That's what that would be the name for myself. Okay, the other thing that I wanted to tell you in terms of monikers, sobriquet, is I was playing on my PlayStation. I was playing Dead by Daylight, which I play on Twitch. My Twitch handle is Reagan Fox, by the way. Come join me there if that's your bag. And somebody that I was playing in a Dead by Daylight match with, his name was the Bareback Contessa, which I thought was fabulous. I just realized what I'm going to talk about for my third chapter, of course. It's so up the now. Not in, not in terms of zeitgeist, but in my now, in the zeitgeist of my brain. And that is that I have decided to become something of a teetotaler, which means that I'm giving up alcohol. Although I've been thinking about this. Okay, well, let me back up. Let me explain how this all happened. So I have been a drinker my entire adult life. When I came out of the closet at 18 and started going to gay bars, alcohol is just such a big component of that. And it got to the point because my sexual coming of age was happening right when I was drinking alcohol, I began to think that I have to be fucked up. I have to be on alcohol or pills or weed or something in order to have sex, right? To let go of that self-conscious part of myself. And when I was in my 20s, I drank probably, I would say, five days out of the week. I remember if I could put together two consecutive days without drinking, I was like, wow, I feel like Betty Ford. Or if not Betty Ford, then maybe like Betty Ford's main queer who's just trying to get her off the wagon at all times. Come on, Betty. Come on, Betty. Come on, girl. What one cocktail is not going to kill? You just have a, just, you know, just have a little um, mimosa. What a Sunday mimosa does not. You haven't, you haven't broken your sobriety with a Sunday mimosa, with a picture of Sunday mimosa, with a bottomless picture of Sunday mimosas. 
That barely even counts. Is is, is champagne even really alcohol? Betty, come on. Have one. Come on. Have one for Reggie. Have one for Reggie. Betty gets up to use the restroom. I'm like, shh, nobody tell her this. But I'm going to put a little vodka into her orange juice. She's just so much more interesting. She can just be such a pill, so to speak, whenever she's not drinking. But please don't tell her she'll be so mad at me. No, uh, and then when I got into my 30s, I drank maybe like twice, sometimes three times a week. And then when I got into my 40s, really, I went down, I mean, to probably like once a week I drink. But I drink, I'm all in. I'm like world, world poker showdown i'm like i'm all in i'm all in and i drink to the point of blacking out and it's get it's gotten worse because as you age you can't hold your handle your liquor as well and there's actual scientific data to support this that you don't break your enzymes don't break down the alcohol as well as they used to and uh, so I'd start doing this weird thing when I get home, in, again, in my 40s, where I'd drink what I would normally drink in my 30s, but then uh, because I'm only doing it once a week now, it hits harder. And then I'd start, like, slobbering and spittle and stuff. So at any rate, it's just always been integrated into my life because once a week I go out to the bars, right? It's my gay communion. And anybody who's a gay person can not maybe anybody, but most of you can relate to that, relate to what I'm saying. And one of the gifts of the pandemic is uh, G-I-F-T-S, not GIF as in like an animated picture, is that it, I, I don't enjoy drinking alone. I like the social aspect of drinking. And so during the lockdown, I, on, I only drank twice. And so... Last week marked my two weeks after my second dose of the Pfizer vaccine. And I said, you know what? I'm going to go out to a bar because they've opened bars up, but they have all these rules and regulations in California, as they should. You have to stay seated. You have to have your mask on unless you're drinking from your cocktail. And you have six feet away from everybody. I was prepared. Okay, this is, I'm reintegrating. So I go out drinking on Friday night. I see my friends. It was so lovely to see my friends. And I drank four, (laughs) four Bacardi and Cokes. And you know, it's not like if you're going on to the airplane and they're like, here's a Bacardi and Coke. No, this is like the strongest Bacardi and Coke ever. And then I had one beer and then I was so sick that night. And I woke up and I said, I'm not drinking anymore. I'm not interested in it. I enjoy putting my head on a pillow and being sober-minded too much. And I enjoy even more waking up and feeling energetic and 100%. And one of the gifts of the pandemic and lockdown has been, I think I've outgrown drinking. I think I have outgrown drinking. Had there been no lockdown... I would have continued to think, okay, I would have had continual FOMO and like, okay, I have to go out. It's Saturday night. I have to go out or I'm missing out. I'm missing out. And this was the perfect opportunity to see this is what my life would be like for extended periods without alcohol. And so maybe I will be a teetotaler. I, and I, I've text messaged a number of my friends. I told my mom, I'm like, I think I'm going to be a sober person. 
not because I think I'm an alcoholic, but just because I'm, I've, I've outgrown drinking and binge drinking and stuff. But then I started thinking about it more and I was like, I would really like to go to Palm Springs for my birthday and drink that weekend with my best friend, Peter Brackey. Peter Brackey. Longtime listeners have heard me talk about Peter Brackey. It's Band-Aids. He always has a Band-Aid on when he goes into the pool. And then the Band-Aid falls off and it's just floating there on the top of the, the, the spa. It's disgusting, those Band-Aids. I say, Peter, please take off your Band-Aid. And he goes, I'm Peter Brackey. I'm going to leave my Band-Aids on. It's disgusting. Seriously, is there anything worse than going to the pool area and seeing like a Band-Aid floating in the pool? Or going to the gym and going to wash your hands in the bathroom and you see like a dirty Band-Aid stuck to the side of the sink. Oh, just awful. We will see. We'll see where it goes with the teetotaling. Teetotaling. I wonder how that name came to be. I wonder what the etymology is. Let me look it up real fast. Oh, this makes a lot of sense. Okay, one anecdote attributes the origin of the word. And by the way, it's T-E-E. Not T-E-A. I used to think it was T-E-A because I heard that Donald Trump was a teetotaler and Kathy Griffin, who they can't stand each other, but they have that in common. Okay, attributes the origin of the word to a meeting of the Preston Temperance Society in 1833. And the temperance movement, of course, was the push to ban alcohol. Uh, He would take names at his meeting of people who pledged alcohol temperance and noted those who pledged total abstinence with the letter T, and such people became known as teetotalers. There you have it. But another part of me just thinks like, oh gosh, I'm giving something else up. It's like, I, my life is permanent Lent. I haven't had sex in seven years, and now I'm going to give up alcohol, too? You don't want to beat me or screw me? What kind of marriage is this? Bring a book. I like this new format. And I hope you like it too. And what I would like to do is I would like to start uh, taking questions from the audience. Or it doesn't have to be a question. I guess it could be a comment. But ask me anything. That's what they say on Reddit, right? AMA, ask me anything. Because it helps generate ideas for me on the show. And in fact, I would really appreciate if just one of you kind of, because I think once I get the ball rolling and I'll play, I'll play your question or comment on the show. And I probably won't do every single one, but the ones that make sense to play that week, I will. And so can somebody give me a pity message a pill or a pity fuck. I'll take either one of them at this point. But if you could just call and leave a message and ask me a question, it could be about anything and I'll give you an earnest, honest answer. Sarah Silverman does it on her podcast. and I think it it works really well. And it's a nice way of incorporating the audience. And I would like to do that. So in order to do that, I set up a Google voice number and my Google voice number is 323-207-0996. That's 323-207-0996. And interestingly, my old Google Voice, I still have all of the, uh, what do you call it? The, um, the, <laughs> the messages. And here's one from VJ, our friend VJ, who, who I've known forever. And he left me a message on September 12th, 2010, telling me that I did an awesome job on Big Brother. <laughs> Sorry, sorry, VJ. It's 11 years later and I'm just now seeing this message. 
But yeah, uh, so do that. Leave a message. Let me know how things are going. And I want to close things off with uh, this song from Silence the Musical, which I've known about this for a long time. Silence the Musical is they turned Silence of the Lambs into this campy musical. And there's a song called I Want to Smell Your C-Word. Or if I could smell her C-word. Because, you know, Clarice is going to see Hannibal Lecter for the quid pro quo stuff. And as she's walking to see Hannibal Lecter in his prison cell, somebody masturbates on her and throws the sperm into her hair, which is just disgusting or alternately really sexy, depending on the context. Not for her, though. Not for her. And so... Hannibal Lecter asks Clarice, he's like, what did the man say to you? And she goes, oh, he said, I I could smell your cunt. Iconic moment. Iconic moment. So they turned that, they turned that into a whole song. And that's how I'm going to close things out. If you haven't done so already, make sure that you join me on Facebook at the Foxhole, which is the Fox in the City Facebook community. Thanks for listening. Until we meet again. Tell me, what did Mig say to you? Multiple Migs in the next cell. He hissed at you. What did he say? He said, I can smell your cunt. I see. <sighs> I myself cannot. If I could smell her cunt, she'd help me taste humanity again and if I promise not to eat her then perhaps she'd even be my friend if I could smell her cunt if I could smell her cunt this little West Virginian hick I want to know what makes her tick If only she would let me pick a pretty brain Perhaps a new relationship The kind that challenges my wit The kind that doesn't leave behind a bloody stain I'd like to tell her I don't care But something in her eyes I'd like to tell her life's not fair but right above her thighs If I could help us solve this case Perhaps they'd let me leave this place For one that has a bit more space I want to see a tree Lonely, lonely lunatic I'm charming, but I'm also sick I need an audience for my shtick Perhaps it could be she If I could smell her cunt If she would grant my simple little wish I could illuminate this dungeon with but one small whiff of tuna fish I'd give her what she wants if I could smell her cunt Is this who I really am? Half a monster, half a man I want to smell her bearded clam I almost can Trapped behind this pane of glass A genius of tasting class Sitting on his brilliant ass And now this woman If I could bend her to my will Coerce her to confide Just think of all those beans she'd spill I'm tingling inside If I could smell her car
moment If I could touch the window to her soul It's not disgusting, it's a metaphor It's a more than just a hairy hole If I could smell her cunt Can I break her? Time will tell Eight years rotting in this cell Feels a lot like I'm in hell If only I could smell her cunt If I could smell her